Our scripture reading this morning before the sermon will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you're following along one of the Pew Bibles, you can find that beginning on page 872 and continuing to 873. Again, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We are excited about things that have happened over the past few days, and we'll briefly mention that in just a moment, but we're excited about things that are happening today, the opportunity to be together and worship God. What a blessing it is. If you're a guest, we hope that you'll stay for Bible classes that will follow. We have classes for all ages. It may be that you visited during vacation Bible school and you're back this morning. We're glad you are, and we want you to stay for Bible class, and, and we'd love to get to know you better. We have classes for everybody. We want you to be a part of them. Also this afternoon, several of our teenagers will be leaving out with two trips that we call Sculpt and Chisel, and for time's sake, we just don't have the time to elaborate upon that, but we'll be gone for 48 hours, and we would ask you to be praying for us, and we hope and pray that it's going to be a really, really good experience for our young people. We have such great youth here and we love them and appreciate them and we just want to help them grow. You saw the video at the beginning before worship began this morning and what an amazing time at VBS this past week uh, to see the auditorium full of children. There were anywhere from 540 up to 560 something up to 580 something and that's only counting the children. Uh, from about three years old up to sixth grade. We will still have a teen VBS in July. And so that, that's all kids from three-year-old to sixth grade. And the only way that works is that it takes, well, tons of blessings from God, but then tons of helpers. There's at least 175 to 200 of you teenagers and adults sitting here that have given a lot of time just this past week. And we thank you so very much. Uh, it was so neat this week to ask various kids, hey, what was your favorite part of VBS? And, and I remember asking one little girl and she, her eyes got real big. She said skits. And uh, we had great skits. But then you ask different children in every one of the areas of VBS came up. But if you want something that melts your heart, this is what happened over and over this week as teachers teaching children the Word of God. We studied this week about Jesus. We studied about Jesus' miracles like walking on water or healing the paralytic, but we also studied about His death and His resurrection. According to Scripture, that's gospel. We studied the gospel with 600 kids this week. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. I had the opportunity for just 
one time, one day. So I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing that to not take any credit because it wasn't much. But just one time, one day, I filled in a class and taught. I've got to tell you, I was amazed. I was amazed at how well behaved the kids were, how attentive they were to that 35 minute Bible study where for those 35 minutes, all we did was open the Bible and study. And then to hear them be able to give back the answers as we're studying, oh, it melts your heart. It is such a beautiful, beautiful and wonderful occasion. Let me go ahead and mention a couple of things to you and then we must stop and offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God. We stood right here, we were right here last Sunday and we fervently prayed to God, asking him to bless us and he did. And so in a moment, we're gonna stop and we're gonna thank God for his blessings. You know, it's amazing to think how richly God would bless day after day. You know, Sunday evening, we had a great kickoff of VBS, that was wonderful. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday had a tremendous vacation Bible school. Wednesday night, the summer faith could not have been a deeper drink of good eternal water. And then about 200 of us came in here Friday night for several hours and Saturday morning and the marriage retreat, the marriage seminar was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. One session was about parenting. The other four sessions were about marriage. And Lonnie Jones just really gave us all some tools, equipping us to enrich our marriages. And I really believe there's going to be a lot of marriages stronger. Uh, I'd like to believe mine will be. I know Tracy and I were talking about last night some of the things we learned and and how we want to apply them. What a week. It's just, it's unbelievable to think that there could be seven days in a row like that. God's blessed us richly, very richly. In in just a moment, we're going to talk about our emphasis today on the second greatest commandment. We're going to talk about the opportunity that we will have to help out in the community to make a difference in others' lives. But right now, if you will, let's bow and let's pray together. Our most gracious God. Our heart and our cup runs over. You are the giver of all good gifts and we do not know why, God, you have blessed us so richly. Your grace cannot be measured. Your mercy is rich beyond any riches we've ever experienced. Your love is great. We praise you, God, for loving us more than anyone ever has. God, we thank you for the blessings of this past week. We thank you for an amazing Vacation Bible School and bringing so many children into our lives so that we could love them with your love and teach them about you and your son and your truth. And God, we pray that we've been faithful stewards. We pray for each of those children and their families and we pray that seeds have been planted and that we would take advantage of opportunities in the future to even further cultivate those seeds. God, we know ultimately the harvest is yours and we trust you. God, there are so many here that have worked for so many hours this past week. We're thankful, God, for those that have taught, for those that have been line leaders, that have worked in the skits with snacks, with crafts, with games, with registration. 
We're thankful for each one of them and we pray that you bless them just as they have been a blessing to others. God, we're mindful also of some others that have worked most of this past year in one way or another. And we are thankful for Tara and Christy and Lauren and Tim and Angela and Misty and Kendra and Tina. God, we pray that very soon as they plan another vacation Bible school for next year, we pray that you bless them with wisdom and with compassion and that they truly will be successful for your glory. God, we're thankful for the tremendous summer faith series you've blessed us with this summer. And God, we're thankful for the marriage seminar. And we pray that you bless our marriages and our families. And we pray, God, we can be a reflection of you and your love for us and the way that we love each other. God, we do pray that chisel and sculpt will be a blessing to all involved. We pray for spiritual success and we pray for safety. And we pray in thanksgiving for so many people that have been willing to offer time to us over the next two days. God, we are thankful for our Brazil team that will be leaving Friday. And God, we pray that you bless them with great success. We pray that as they go there, that that church will be aware of how your church is universal and how your son came to die for the whole world. And we pray that, that our small team would be able to bring great love and great enthusiasm, great compassion, and to be able to truly share the truth. God, we're thankful for the Fowlers. We're thankful for the good work they have done and they continue to do. And we pray that you bless all of these efforts. God, we are reminded of your passage that Paul prayed in Ephesians, that you will bless us exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And we know in that passage, God, you said that you would do it through your church. And God, we have experienced that and we thank you. And we pray that we will always be good stewards with your blessings. God, as we study your word and as we strive to figure out how to live this in our lives this week, we ask that you give us open eyes and hearts and that our minds would be keen and that we would truly listen to your word. And it's through your son's name we pray and amen. Out in the foyer, you're going to notice as you exit just behind this wall here, packets that if you so choose that as we place an emphasis on second greatest command day for the fourth year in a row, we want to give you an opportunity to go out and to do something for someone else to live out the second greatest commandment. There are many kids in our community that need help preparing for school in August. They need help with school supplies. They need help with clothing. And there are packets out there of specific children. And because it is specific children in the request, it's very important that if you take a packet that uh, you keep up with it and that you bring the things back in by July the 20th. That's a Wednesday evening, July the 20th. Please 
take the packet, sign your name on the post-it note, put the post-it note back on the board. That way we know who has the packet where if any information needs to be given back and forth, it can be done. With that in mind, if you are a guest, we ask you to not take a packet unless maybe seeing us because we need your info so that if we need to get back in touch with you about a particular child. In other words, this isn't, hey, let's collect things for 50 children and we'll see if we can find 50 children. All of these packets are connected to a specific child whose parent has already said, this is what we need. And so it is connected to a specific child. And so if you're a guest and we do not have your info, uh, get with us so we can exchange info and, and we would love to have you participate in that way. Now what is different for those of you that are familiar with this over the past three years, is usually one packet contains clothing and supplies. This year, those two are split up. So on the outside, a packet might say supplies or a packet might say clothing. And so if you have a preference of which one you would rather shop for, I know if it were me, I'd rather shop for supplies, but, but you can be aware of that and you can take whichever one it is. And also because of that, if you've participated in the last few years, your packets are, are going to contain half of the items to purchase. And so keep that in mind also is that it, it is, um, that is the way it is broken up uh, this year. Why would we do it? Why, why would we help people that we don't even know who they are? The second greatest commandment is an amazing study. Of course, anytime you hear something called second, you immediately realize, okay, it's tied to something else. It's tied to a first. And so you can't really appropriately study the second greatest commandment without studying the first greatest commandment. But then it's even interesting, the setting of which we study these commandments. You remember there was a lawyer that came to Jesus there in Matthew, the 22nd chapter in verse 36. And remember his question was simply this, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now from that question, there's no way that this lawyer would have known what he was doing. You see, we hear this, and if you're familiar with scripture, you immediately say, wow, this is the passage where Jesus gives the first and second greatest commandments. So from this question, we launch into the greatest teachings. And yet on the other hand, if you would have told this lawyer, hey, you, you know the question you just asked? People are gonna be talking about you 2,000 years later all around the world. There would have been no way to convince him that that was the fact, but it is a fact. Because the answer to this question, there's no other answer more important than the answer to this question. Well, what was the setting? This guy didn't come up to Jesus because he wanted one of the greatest teachings ever given. This guy came to Jesus because he thought he had a leg up on the Sadducees and he's gonna be able to put Jesus in his place and make him look really good because the Sadducees had not been able to do that. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice verse 23 begins a new paragraph and it is the paragraph that leads into the paragraph of which we're studying. 
23 begins the paragraph where the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were going to try to entrap Jesus. And so they set up this hypothetical situation that a man marries a woman and the man dies before they bear children. And so he would be given, she would be given as a wife to the next brother. And he dies before bearing children. And as a wife, she is given to the next brother. And this happened seven times. And so in 28, the question is, Whose wife is she in the resurrection? And Jesus answering 29 is an answer that we all ought to consider. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. You see, they brought this to him trying to trap him. He immediately says, you're wrong. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, Think how many times you and I in our, our lives, we do something wrong. And the reality is if we would have just known the scriptures better, we would have known better how to do that. Therefore, avoid making a mistake. Think how oftentimes we make mistakes because we forget the power of Jesus. There's two things that he brings out there that all of us ought to file away and we ought to meditate upon it this week. How much can I be enriched if I take the time regularly, weekly, daily to know the scriptures and then in that to not have rote memory of scripture, but to realize every scripture is taking me back to a powerful God. Sadducees, you're making a terrible mistake. You're asking questions about eternity and the truth is you're ignorant and you're not even trying to be taken back to God. Now you can imagine how this really stirred everyone's interest, especially if you were kind of an enemy of the Sadducees like the Pharisees were. And so at the end, if you have your Bible open, you notice in verse 33, the multitude that heard this was astonished at his teaching. You remember our theme for this year is, is marvels, things that are just amazing. One of the great things that's amazing in scripture is scripture itself, the teachings of Jesus. And so they were amazed at how Jesus can handle this. And so now when we go back to verse 36 again, and we see in 35, the lawyer comes to him and notice he's testing him, but notice why he does it. If you have your Bible open, see back in 34, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together and they pick out this lawyer and it's kind of like sick them. Look at this. We have an opportunity to look really good. Not that this is a huge, significant point, but I just can't help but picture this. I don't know how many of you can envision something like this back in your school days, but I remember like in junior high, you know, early high school days, I, I remember how every now and then in just the right setting, arm wrestling was a big deal. Do you ever remember that? And you know, and I remember, you know, you usually had your kid in, in your class that he was kind of like the champ, you know, it was kind of like, hey, can you beat him? Can you beat, you know, and then you, you, you got this kid that comes up there and champ puts him down. Next kid comes up, champ puts him down. Next kid comes up. But then you got this guy laying back. You know what he's doing? It's kind of like, hey, you know, if the champ puts down eight or 10 guys and then I get up there and I beat the champ, look what I've said to everybody. I don't have to beat all of you. I just beat the guy that beat you. There's just no doubt that was a part of the emotional pride that was going on with the Pharisees. 
You know, you can imagine the Sadducees going up, let's, let's entrap Jesus. And Jesus just immediately puts them in their place. And you can imagine the Pharisees like, oh, this is our chance. This is our chance. Not only are we going to put Jesus in his place, but now we've proven ourselves better than the Sadducees. And so they think, and, and there's, there's literally a list of five or 10 easy answers you can give of perhaps why they thought this was such a great way to test or to entrap Jesus. For this lesson's sake, we're not going to go into all of those reasons, but they thought they had a great way to trap Jesus. And so what do they want to know? We want to know which one is the greatest. As we see there in verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? I want you to pause there for a moment and I want you to think, I know you probably know the answer to this, so I'm not trying to stump you. I'm just trying to get us thinking. Do we think, based on how this was written, do we think that Jesus paused and Jesus thought to himself, oh, I hate these questions when, when, when people want to know the greatest. Oh, these are so hard. Like, why do they try to throw this at me? Or does Jesus have more of an attitude that says, you know, I'm glad you asked that because great lives are made up of people who have their priorities right. People that have their priorities right, they keep first things first. So you want to know which commandment's the greatest? I would love to tell you how to prioritize your life and how to keep first things first. You remember Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, fifth chapter, sixth chapter, seventh chapter? Did Jesus have a problem talking about priorities? Do you remember in Matthew 5 and 24, before you come in to worship, you got ought, you got a problem with your brother? What does he say do? First, first, go and reconcile with your brother. Then come in and lay your gift down. See, Jesus had no problem saying, I can give you priorities. Remember Matthew, the sixth chapter, still the Sermon on the Mount. Remember verse 33? Seek ye, I don't know, it's so hard to get priorities right. Oh no, he didn't have a problem. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things. You, you, want, you want to take care of daily necessities, food, clothing, shelter. You want to take care of those? Seek first, highest priority, not highest priority, let me take care of my daily necessities, no. Highest priority, you keep yourself in the kingdom, in a relationship with God, the way it ought to be. Seek his righteousness first, first, and all these other things will be added. And then very similar to, to the other, you remember still in the Sermon on the Mount, in the seventh chapter in verse five, you got a plank in your eye, your brother has a little piece of sawdust. He says, first, remove the plank out of your eye so you can see clearly to remove the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. We need to help each other get the mistakes out of our lives. But that priority needs to begin with ourselves first. 
You see, when we just go through the earlier scripture of Jesus' teachings and we hear him teach, it's no surprise that when we get here to Matthew 22 and they ask Jesus the question, hey, can you tell us the greatest? It's no surprise that there's not going to be a hesitation because great lives are made up of individuals who have their priorities right. So what is the first and greatest priority? Look with me, if you will, and notice his answer in 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So the first and great commandment is about loving God with our all. Now, if we were from a pagan society, if polytheism was our culture, we might, we might look at that and say, oh, so you mean I can't be devoted to God and devoted to other gods like I do in this other culture. In other words, you know, among pagans, the idea was, hey, you can be devoted to this sun god, but you can also be devoted to this god of, of the moon or, or just whatever god it may be. There was no problem with dividing your allegiance among gods. And so for some people in some cultures, even today, this teaching would be very challenging because when he says, okay, how much am I to love God? I'm to love God with all of my being, all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul. Now, as we also consider this, I'd like for you to notice that if we do love God with all of our being, what does that do to ourself? It means that we have to become selfless. It means that pride, that from a carnal nature is natural. That idea that says, hey, I know best. That idea that says, I want things the way I want things to be. That selfishness and that pride, if I'm going to love God with all of my being, we have to take the ax to the root of that selfishness and pride. Where is that? In other words, someone says, okay, I, I want to work on selfishness and pride and I want to get rid of it. So do you just work on not being selfish and not being prideful? Well, kind of but that's not enough. In other words, in a way, those are symptoms of what? Those are symptoms of not loving God with all of your being. What we really need to work on is loving God with all of our being, and that is how we take the ax to the root of selfishness and pride. Now, a second thing, that I'd like for you to see this morning is the second greatest commandment. Notice how Jesus continued in Matthew 22 and 39. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. What's interesting about the second greatest commandment, and keep in mind, you have to keep it in its place. We are studying the second greatest commandment as if we have already obeyed the first. Okay, now that's very important. Somebody that has already said, Lord, 
I'm no longer going to be selfish. I'm no longer going to be full of pride. I'm going to love you with all of my being. And so now that I love you the most, you will teach me how to love others best. Isn't that a beautiful concept? You love God the most and he will teach you how to love others best. So God, what do you want me now to know about others? And he begins with this assumption, this natural assumption that somebody that loved God first and foremost would have a natural love for themselves. Now, if we have that natural love for ourselves, we usually see that in, in its very base form. We see it through protection and provisions. Let, let's illustrate this. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not. It doesn't matter if you've never been an athlete. I have a baseball in my hand and at this moment I'm throwing it at your face. What are you going to do? You're not gonna say, oh, I don't play ball. You have a love for yourself. You have a love for yourself that you're going to protect yourself. There wouldn't be possibly anybody in this room that would just sit there. Probably everybody in this room would throw their hand up to protect themselves. You might duck to protect yourself. You would do something, why? Because you love yourself. The Lord takes the second greatest commandment and he builds it off of the base appreciation and love that you have for yourself. Same way with provisions. Let's just take any man in this room, you lived yesterday, that was Saturday. You, unless you're less than a day old, you lived yesterday. Okay, and so yesterday, I can almost assure you that this did not happen to anybody in this room. No one came up to you at evening and says, you know what? I think that I forgot to remind you to get something to drink today and something to eat. I just noticed you got up this morning, you just went right into your day and, and you, never, you never drank any water, you never drank any tea or coffee or Gatorade or anything all day. And you know, I don't even think you've eaten anything. You didn't eat any breakfast, you didn't eat a snack, you didn't eat lunch. You know, listen, I, I really need to make sure that you eat now. Didn't happen to anybody. Why? There's one reason why. You love yourself. You love yourself. You're going to provide for yourself. You're going to protect yourself. It's the base nature of love. So if we love God with all of our being and then we love our neighbor, now this little word becomes huge in this teaching. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. So now the idea is how you protect and provide for yourself, you will do that for others as you do it for yourself. You wanna see this illustrated? Look over in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we have this passage where he's talking about Christ and the church and husbands and wives. And when we study Ephesians 5 and 28, there's probably no one single passage that lays parallel to the second greatest commandment any more than this one passage. Notice what he says to husbands in 5 and 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives, how? As their own bodies. That is the second greatest commandment. It's just he took the second greatest commandment and he took it over to husbands and he says, hey, 
It's true for you too, husbands. It's true in marriage. You love them. And, and then he even elaborates on it who, uh, about being marriage. He who loves his wife loves himself because you're one. And so if you love yourself and you do, you're going to protect yourself. You're going to provide for yourself. So you're one in marriage. Now you do it anyway because it's the second greatest commandment. But how much so does it make sense that you do it since now? Her body is your body and your body is his. And so you're one. And then he takes this and, and it's almost as if he says, hey, you know back there what Jesus taught in Matthew? Let me go ahead and elaborate upon this, what it means to love yourself. And, and here's where he elaborates upon it. In 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Okay, so if you don't hate your own flesh and you love your own flesh, what do you do? But nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Nourishes to take in. In other words, nourishes to provide what is needed. Provisions. You don't hate your flesh, you nourish it. Cherish comes from the Greek word of a, an egg being incubated. In, in, in other words, we, we've got a hen that is setting on her nest. And you know what she does? She cherishes those eggs. The idea is that she protects them and she provides for them what is needed. That is the idea of cherishing. And so we've got provisions and protection. We have great worth. And why do we do that? He's saying, now I want you to notice in 29, he's saying this is what the husband does for his own body. I gotta be honest with you. I read this a long time before I ever noticed, like in my mind, I immediately read 29 saying, this is the way I read it in my mind. I read him saying in 29, why husbands, make sure that you nourish and cherish your wives. And that's the only message I walked away with. But that's not the only message. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, you know the second greatest commandment? How you love others as you love yourself? You remember husbands? You na naturally nourish yourself. You naturally cherish yourself. Now you do that for your wife just as you do it for yourself. So how big is this word as? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your wife as your own body. And notice the end of this just as the Lord does the church. What zeal and what energy do you have to take care of yourself? Those of you that have kids in school, what zeal and energy do you have to make sure that as your kids start school in August, they have the supplies they need, they'll have the clothes they need. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you take care of your house? What about your neighbor that might need help with their house? Would you love them as you love and take care of yourself? How creative can you get whenever you need to make something happen in your life? 
And when you have a neighbor that needs something to happen in their life, how creative can you get to make sure that that happens for them? I don't want to take away from the importance of people just to go to something like a facility. But as I was studying this this week, I couldn't help but think of what I've seen off and on throughout the years, spending so many hours at a church building. There are some people that they see this ground as they see their own. Many times I've seen someone come up and weed a flower bed. They weren't asked to, they weren't assigned to. And I thought to myself when I see that, you know what, that's pretty neat. Because they would take care of their own flower bed at their house. It just makes sense they would come and do it for other people too, especially when it's the Lord's house, so to speak, using that very loosely application there. It's neat sometimes to see someone come in during the middle of the week, not as a teacher, not as an elder or deacon, and they clean a Bible class that they're a part of, and you, hey, what are you doing? I just noticed Sunday our, our room was getting really messy, and I just want to come in and clean it up. That's neat because most people clean their own house. It just makes sense that you would also be willing to help others as needed. Some trim their own shrubs, and I've seen others come and voluntarily help because it's just what you do. What do you do for others? But not just one detail, more of an attitude, more of a heart, more of, hey, that's just who I am. Now that I started loving God with all of my being, he has taught me how to love others. And what I do is I try to do for others as I would do for myself. I don't know how that's going to change your life this week. But if you take it to heart, I would be shocked if it didn't. And I want to encourage you this week. I want to encourage you this week to have eyes open to see the as moments. See the as moments. Because of your love for God, what would you do for them? What I learned today, number one, I learned the best life is made up of right priorities. And he clearly teaches them. Number two, I've learned that loving God is the first priority. It destroys selfishness and pride. Number three, I learned that as is a significant part of the second commandment. It can only happen if the first commandment is obeyed. This morning, do you have God as the first and the preeminent one in your life? And if not, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. And our hope and our prayer is that we could do something to encourage you to place God first in your life. If you're ready to respond to be baptized because you know what you're doing, you know that's the will of God, we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you're, you're wanting to come back and confess sin and pray forgiveness because you know that's what God's will is for you and you're ready to do that. Maybe you don't know what you need to do but you know you want God first, we would love to sit down and further study scripture with you just to help you learn what it means to love God with all of your being. If we